0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadle, joined by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey, Rachel. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Good. I got a question for you. Okay. Are you a fan of The Matrix? Have you ever seen those movies? Do you know what I'm talking about with those movies? Yes. Do you know about the new movie that just came out?
0: I don't know about the new movie that just came out. I do know about the old Matrix a long time ago with Keanu Reeves. (laughs) I don't know about the new Matrix.
1: So you've seen that movie, then? Is it like when's the last time you've seen it? Has it been like a hundred years ago since you've seen it? That sort of Yes, thing?
0: yes, it was a long time ago. So if you're like going to ask me specific details, you're going to be really disappointed.
1: No, no, I'm not. Well, actually, I have a couple stories to share about about The Matrix. Um, you mind if I share them right now and kind of kind of share some. I'm going to nerd out on you as I typically do with these sorts of things so let's go so let's see the matrix and I have a long history together the matrix uh, came out in the late 90s and I was working at Kent State in a so I was going to get my master's from Kent State uh, University in Ohio and uh, While I was doing that full-time, I was also working almost full-time at a movie theater, and that's when The Matrix came out. So I was working in a movie theater. And so, I remember, it was a mind-blowing experience, right? New special effects, um, really uh, the whole idea of, like, a virtual reality that we're living in, you know, spoiler alert for a movie that's many, many years old. It was really a groundbreaking movie for its time. And then it came out with two sequels that eh, we don't need to talk about those sequels. They're, 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 eh. Um, But the new movie just came out, right? Where, uh, like, it just came out in movie theaters and it just came out on HBO Max. And um, one of the things my family and I have been doing is sort of reintroducing the kids um, to some of the foundational movies when we were growing up. And so The Matrix is certainly one of those foundational movies. And then, of course, you know, we, we watched the sequels and then watched the new one that came out. And the reason I'm spending so much time with is, well, actually, a couple of side stories, too. Um, you know how I love memes, right? And we put memes in so yes, many of our I presentations. Yes, I know this about you. Well, for a while, I was putting this meme of what if I told you, right? So there's this scene in the original Matrix where Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, has this phrase where he's like, what if I told you? And it has become a classic meme where it's his face with these black sunglasses, right? Uh, and then people put, what if I told you? And then there's some sort of line underneath. Like, what if I told you your, your AAC didn't have to have all fringe vocabulary? Like, Like that kind of thing would be a meme that you and I would put into our presentations. But that meme, I realized a couple months ago now, maybe almost a year ago now, if you look at that meme in the sunglasses, you can actually see, like, someone holding a weapon. And I was like, I can't use that meme in presentations anymore. So now I block out the glasses in the meme so so that you can't see the reflection of the weapon. But it's just a side note there. There's another thing that just, I don't know, that comes up when I think about The Matrix. Anyway, the new movie just came out, and the last 15 minutes of the movie make this extremely poignant point about the future and the way the future of the world is being designed i think nobody could argue that over the last uh certainly over it, it seems like maybe we've um even accelerated in the last five years this emphasis on inclusion and diversity and making sure everybody is represented in in the new future of the world. And this movie did such an amazing job kind of bringing that point together. And there's this last little moment, so minor spoilers for Matrix Resurrections, where the main characters, who are Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, are talking to the the big bad guy, right? And one of the phrases they say is, we're not here to negotiate. And it's just so it, it, that Meaning, we're not really going to talk to you. We're going to create this new future without asking your permission, you know? And I feel like that is where one of the things our podcast does, it's when I'm like reflecting on it when watching the movie, I feel like our podcast does this. Is And I feel like the, this new way of looking at AAC that has really come forth in the last oh, 10 years for sure is we're not asking permission right uh, there is no we're not negotiating we are we are using robust language systems right there is no like mm, should we shouldn't we we're not apologizing for our stance on how things should go we are forging forward with a new way of doing things and i it really resonated with me we're not here to negotiate is a phrase that f- rings in my in my head is similar to we're not asking permission. The new generation of students are not asking permission for how uh, education per- should be redesigned or the, the whole great resignation that's happening right, right now in the world. People are not asking their former employers permission. They're just like, I'm going to go do my own thing, right? And I just feel like it's, uh, it was such a classic line that uh, resonated with me in how the new world is being uh, redesigned. And I just loved it. I just loved it.
0: I feel like it's going to be so many different memes, Chris, with that phrase that's going to be created in the future. It's so funny. You, I know exactly what meme you're talking about because you share it in presentations that we give together. Um, and I, and I love the sentiment. Um, I think that something I've reflected on with our podcast is, you know, when we first started, I was so just like, scared to say the wrong thing and you know when you kind of have a a spotlight on you and you're you know more in the the public eye you're also more in public scrutiny right so like it's scary to you know record a podcast with your thoughts and opinions and inevitably you know someone's going to disagree with what you say and we have lots of people who disagree with us (laughs) um you know but as as we've continued on in the podcast and we've continued to grow um, you know, together, Chris, I think that we have become even more confident in communicating unapologetically about um, you know, the things that we believe when it comes to AAC. And I'll never forget, I was once told, if you don't have anybody disagreeing with you, you're not doing your job. You know, when you're in the public light, Um, it means that you're not taking a stand. You're being kind of too like this and that, Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, we have people who come on the podcast who maybe have, you know, differing opinions than we do. And you kind of have to play, play nice in a lot of ways um, and not necessarily go extreme. Not that we're extreme. I feel like we're pretty like middle of the road in some ways, but there's a few things that we feel really strongly about and passionately about. And, you know, I feel like we've gotten even more strong in communicating that and, you know, not being afraid to communicate that message.
1: For sure. I mean, there's times where you just have to, again, sort of make a leap of faith, uh, and that's a that's a, again a, a nod to some of the things that happen in this movie. Um, or Spider-Man is super popular right now, right? Is we're recording this, it's still um, uh, those movie that movie just came out, and that's a, another feature in that in that movie and and um, similar movies is making a leap of faith. And oftentimes you and I have had to do that here in this podcast. Uh, something that immediately comes to mind is the specific language system first approach. You know, I'm not going to apologize for that approach when I know that it's working for so. So many people, um, but it's one of those things where, like, again, it sort of feels like we're not going to ask permission. People are just going to do it if it makes sense to them and resonates. There's no uh, secret AAC society that we have to get permission from to say this is how we're going to do it. And I feel like that same thing is true for uh, redesigning education from an inclusive lens. Is that the next generation of students and the next generation of if you're a if you're a pre-service teacher listening to this right now. You don't have to ask permission. You can design it how you think it needs to be designed um, with uh, as, as long as your ethics and your morals are in the right spot, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that you, you're, you're very impressionable as kind of a pre-service teacher or uh, SLP um, and I think that you feel hesitant in a lot of ways to do what you think because you're not sure and you don't have a lot of experience in your belt. Um, but I think that, you know, like you said, just letting your moral compass kind of guide you and. Also being open. I think that that's a really important thing is being open to different perspectives that maybe you never thought about, um, or differ from what you were taught. And I feel like that's what we're seeing now, right? Like I'm like, my mind's completely blown with this whole gestalt language processing thing. I'm like, okay. So I literally had slides and like presentations that I've given saying build language one step at a time, be careful not to use too many scripted phrases. And so now it's like, okay, I need to rethink that i'm open to new perspectives and changing what i do based on the information that i'm gathering and it's just like it's it's interesting when you think about how things can evolve but i think that takes ultimately a curiosity and openness and willingness to hear other perspectives other than the ones that you are familiar with or you know what you think basically is right
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Two last Matrix references that I got to mention. One is in the first movie, Keanu Reeves and Laurence Fishburne have this like fight scene together. And there's this moment where Laurence Fishburne leans forward and he says, show me. And it just sticks in my head when he says, show me. Over, Over and over again, it seems to me like... It's such a core vocabulary moment. Like, show me. <laughs> like, uh, that's a, it's a strategies words I would use over and over again. If I if I was modeling, show me, show me, show me. And it's things I would use um, when I'm talking to uh, other educators, like about w- the claims they're making. Well, how can you sh- how can you prove what you what you're, uh what you're seeing? You know, what how can you prove the claim that you're making? What evidence do you have to back that up? Show me. <laughs> you know, uh, I just love that phrase.
0: Yeah, I've actually used similar uh, strategies, I guess, when I'm working with communication partners and, you know, they're, it's, it's always kind of, um, oh, it's not working or they're not using it or, you know, and so, and what I've learned from experience is that I need to see it. I need to see it because when I see it, I'm like, I know why it's not working. Typically there's, there's something I can see. I'm like, Oh, like, you know, you, you didn't give enough pause time. Like, we don't know if it's not working because you just switched over to ask a new question or, you know, there's so many things that we can. So many problems we can solve if we can just see what's happening, and ultimately, when AAC is not working, it's typically not working because of the communication partners around a, a student. Um, that's been my experience, at least. Or you're not finding something motivating for kids to communicate about. It's like typically one of those two things. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll throw in like just making sure kids are regulated and that sensory approach, getting kids ready to learn, um, that can make a big difference. But You know, if I can see it, I can see any of those things, right? I can see the communication partner. I can see the student and whether or not they seem interested. I can see whether or not they seem dysregulated. Um, So if I, if they can show me, then I can help um, in ways that I'm not able to. Um, But that's, that's always a big challenge, right? Because I need to either be there or they need to take a video. But I, I really feel like that's so powerful.
1: All right. One last thing with the matrix here. Now you know the matrix is all about a virtual reality world, right? That uh, there's killer robots that have taken over humanity and forced them to live in this make-believe world, virtual reality, and that resonates with me in the way that um, there is something now that the the phrase I think is more mainstream than ever. It's called the metaverse, right? Where are we headed in society? Is sort of virtual realities where people can work in virtual realities and play in virtual Virtual realities where you might be in a complete virtual reality where like the majority of our relationship Rachel has been in this virtual space right where I'm in my closet and you're in your um, wh- wherever you're recording it's one of the best parts about it is that you can be anywhere right I'm not always here in the closet and I feel like that is something that uh, scares a lot of people but I find it so fascinating and there's so uh, there's such a world of opportunity in this new space for everybody. I mean again, I think it's if if it's done well and done right, there's a huge opportunity for this to be uh, an equitable experience for everyone.
0: Can I share a funny story about virtual reality?
1: Please do. Do I know the story?
0: I think you do. You were there. <laughs> okay, so Chris and I had the pleasure of having an in-person talking with tech meeting over the holidays. And Chris came to my mom's house in Delaware and The best part about it was he brought his virtual reality. He brought the Oculus and it's always fun for me, but the the more fun experience was we set it up for my mom. <laughs> we taught my mom how to how to enter a virtual reality, and it was great. I think she
1: really she I think she really enjoyed it. It took her a second to kind of get used to it, but then once she was in it, she was flying around skyscrapers and handing out presents like she was uh, uh, oh. on a on a virtual sleigh. She was um, uh, ducking underneath dinosaurs that were coming after her. She was totally into it. It was super fun.
0: That was priceless. I sent that video. I took a few videos naturally and sent them to my family. <laughs> and they thought it was hilarious. <laughs> she thought it was hilarious too.
1: I think one of my favorite parts during that uh, that experience is I was, uh, she was very close to the TV. And so I was standing in front of the TV to make sure she didn't hit it by accident. And I think she, She hit me right in the gut.
0: (laughs) She did. Thank God you were saving that TV because she got a little crazy, Um, which is so funny. Actually, there's tons of um, clips on social media of people doing virtual reality and doing crazy things because (laughs) they think they're like jumping off a cliff or, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's so crazy how immersive the experience can be. And you really feel like you're there, like with dinosaurs or flying or, You know, whatever it is that you're experiencing, it just feels so real.
1: Yeah, and again, super important opportunities I think will come up here where you can practice situations in a safe space and make mistakes before you go into actual reality, right? I mean, imagine taking a virtual tour of your middle school when you're in elementary school and you're feeling intimidated and scared to go into that environment, but you could put on your virtual reality headset and walk around and maybe even have some interactions with the, the staff that are gonna be there. And that's just one. Or a future job site that you might be working on and you could be practicing what that job, look, know what that job is going to be, watch videos, Practice um, using technology like uh, uh, pieces of equipment that you might be working with and be able to do that in a safe place where you make mistakes and, and do it collaboratively. That's another thing that um, uh, I, I feel like it's in our future, Rachel, that we'll be recording some sort of podcast together in Facebook Horizons or some other virtual reality world. And it's not that new, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I was telling you the story when we were there. Beth Post and I have presented in Second Life uh, many, many years ago for patents uh, uh, back in India. I think just more and more experiences are going to continue to happen. Let's embrace them and not be scared of them.
0: No, I love it. I love it. And I feel like we need another in-person hangout so that we can keep playing virtual reality. And also, it was just so fun. (laughs)
1: Let's do it. Let's do it soon. So now that we're coming out of the Matrix, Rachel, tell us about the interview that's happening today.
0: So... Chris this is part two of the episode that I did with uh, Jen and Mariah and we talked all about ABA we talked about it so much that we actually had to split the episode into two parts um so this is the second half of the interview I did with Jennifer Eaton and Mariah Half.
1: Rachel, before we head into the interview this week, I think we have one more special announcement, and that's our sponsor.
0: Yes, I am super excited for this collaboration with the company Vux. Um, If you guys aren't familiar with the company, they are basically creating video book combos. I feel like it's, it's not a book. It's not a video. Um, they... Kind of fuse the two together. I started using books all the time in my therapy when you know COVID nineteen hit and we all went virtual. Uh, it's a really great way to engage students, and I really love it because they oftentimes will have titles of books and then they'll convert them into uh, a books uh, you know video, and they're really fun for students. Especially a lot of students I work with are emergent communicators. They're using AAC for communication, and I love that they're animated because it's kind of like the best of both worlds. I'm not, you know, just using a video, I'm incorporating literacy. And um, I, I really use them all the time.
1: Yeah, the text is read out loud by a human narrator, and it's animated. So so you kind of got the best of both worlds there, where you have both a video and the storybook element mixed together into the into the book, right? Um, and there's a huge library of books. I mean, there's, a, there's so many different topics. There's a whole category on language and vocabulary, isn't there? I think you use that, don't you? Yeah, so you know, it
0: really depends on the student that I'm working with, but like I said, a lot of my kids are emergent communicators and we're working on things like core words and we're working on things like, you know, verbs and being able to to label verbs and there's no better way to target verbs than to have Something that's animated, I feel like you know, if I was reading a traditional story, it would be a static image, and that's not as easy to convey what the action is that's happening. Um, and so I use them all the time, um, you know, in my practice. And with my older students, I'm using them for things like perspective taking and story retell. We'll watch the story together, and we'll make predictions about what happens next. Um, so there really is a lot of variety for lots of different uh, kinds of learners that you're working with in your practice.
1: So that actually leads us to one of the stories that I was reading, one of the books that I was reading. It's called Benji, The Bad Day, and Me. And it's all about a sibling of a student who... Um, is autistic. And the sibling is going through and feeling his emotions and um, how it feels maybe to uh, feel a little bit, maybe pushed to the side. That's how he feels. Uh, and then he he's talking about his day and how he sort of goes unnoticed because of his brother's experience um, and how everyone's sort of focusing on his brother. And then, of course, there's a cute resolution at the end and then it really at the end of this book, there was uh, a whole author's note sort of explaining the, uh, the genesis of the story and what different plot points meant and how it actually worked into the, the actual person's life. So uh, it sort of fits perfectly. It's, it's not just for students with disabilities that we're working with. It's really a tool meant for every student.
0: I love that this company is really starting to think about neurodiversity affirming approaches. And we've talked a lot about that on the podcast. We had Rachel Dorsey on, Um, definitely check out that episode if you haven't listened to it. Um, But I I think the conversations that we have with students uh, about autism, um, a lot of students have the experience of having an autistic student in their class next to them. Um, And so I think that, you know, Resources like this can be really valuable in, you know, when we're selecting materials and when we're deciding, you know, which book or book we're going to, you know, incorporate into our lesson, um, we can, you know, use titles like this to really help move the conversation forward and start building awareness for our students
1: um, around neurodiversity. One of the things I absolutely love about this particular product is that you can access it virtually anywhere, right? So there's an app, you can access it from the website, you can use the device, whatever device the student might have or you might have, you can access it and then they can access the book the in whatever platform that works best for them.
0: Yeah, I tend to use the web-based version because I'm doing a lot of work telepractice wise and I'm sharing my screen and using annotate features to kind of circle specific words. I was just doing this yesterday with a student. Um, I was reading a story. I was reading a, a book, and it—you uh, know—I was working on reading comprehension with this student, and I was using the highlight tool uh, to annotate, um, you know, specific keywords, um, and then you know, typing in the question onto the the actual screen. Um, and so, I like to use the, the web-based version, but it's really awesome that they have you know, a app also for you know, families and clinicians who are kind of on the move, going into classrooms, things like that. Um, I think it's really accessible.
1: And I know we talk about this strategy quite a bit about when you're watching a video to pause the video and then talk about it intermittently. And of course, you can do that. And we discovered the keyboard shortcut of hitting a space bar to pause the video, uh, which then you can use very frequently to discuss the story points or whatever the topic is that you're trying to draw out uh, with uh, the person that you're working with. Also, Rachel, I didn't know if you noticed this, but there's an activity section to the website, um, which was new to me. The last time I had looked at books, I didn't realize that there was an activity section. So I started digging in there and playing with all the different printables. I know that's something we are always wrestling with is implementation. And like, well, how do I use this book? Well, here's a bunch of activities that go along with different stories that uh, help you integrate the story into your work
0: yeah and i think it's also important to just remind our listeners you know we can incorporate core language into any book um and so i feel like this you know resource can be really valuable in sharing with your students and doing it in a way that's really interactive Uh, there's a book that's called stop and go and you know those are two core words right it's literally in the title it's a repetitive type of uh, look where you're, you know, hearing the same language over and over again. Perfect opportunity to model on a student's AAC system.
1: So if you want to learn more about Vooks, go over to Vooks.com and you can sign up to get a seven day free trial and you don't have to take our word for it. You can try it for yourself.
0: Yes. We love Vooks, and I think you guys will love it too. Okay. I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about a specific question related to my individual practice with one kid that I'm working with. And I need your guys insight. I'm hoping this conversation relates and, you know, helps lots of our listeners, but I'm going to be selfish and talk about one specific situation where I've literally been at odds for Almost two years with an ABA team uh, that I'm working with. Um, so let me give you a little of the backstory. I've been trying to be the best, most collaborative, supportive, understanding version of myself. And I'm just at my wit's end with this with this team. Um, basically, what's happening is the programs for communication are being run in a separate folder on the device. So they have a yes, no program, for example. They're not using the yes, no on the home page, which is where I would like them to be using it. They're in some separate folder that only has two options, yes and no. And they're just asking a bunch of random questions that like really don't even feel motivating or relevant to the this, this student. Like, is this, a, is this an eraser? Like, is this an elephant? Um, And that's how they're practicing, you know, this idea of yes, no concepts. So what I've explained to the team is, you know, If we actually hope for all of the work that you're doing to generalize to actually like spontaneous language. So actually having the student be able to answer a yes, no question, then we need to be training the motor plan for where that button is. So the moment a child thinks, yes, they can execute the motor plan, which by the way, this program's folder, the child's not able to navigate to. and has never been taught to navigate to. I have so
2: many problems with this already. So many problems.
1: So do I, I,
0: ladies. (laughs) Um, And so long story short, like I tried to explain like where I'm coming from. I'm like, okay, if we're going to practice yes, no questions, like wouldn't we want to practice them in a way that would potentially generalize to a situation where the child gets asked a yes, no question, and then they can then show how to execute answer that question. Um, And so basically we've gone back and forth and they're like, we need to do this in our way. They've used every excuse because of insurance, because we need to take data, because this is the way ABA does things. I feel like every excuse in the book they've used to try to defend why they're teaching vocabulary in such a discrete trial training way. Um, And then they're not actually like ever generalizing it. To the homepage. So, my first thought was like, okay, maybe I'll like meet them halfway. I hate that they're doing this, but like, maybe you guys run the yes, no program in the folder. And then you have another program that's like for generalization where you run the program on the homepage to practice the motor plans. Ideally we'd be just starting on the homepage because why do we need a separate folder? That's just two options. Yes or no, which by the way is a 50, 50 50 /50 chance that they're going to get it right. So is it even telling us anything? No,
3: exactly. That's my first Um, thing that I thought of.
0: Yeah. So I've just been at odds and I feel like they're using every excuse in the book. And I don't, I don't know what to do. I really don't. They just keep pushing back and they get, this kid gets 40 hours of ABA a week and they're doing so many communication programs, by the way, it's not just like one or two. It's just like most of the time they're spending training communication on the system in a way that I actually feel like is detrimental. Like I actually feel like it's like hurting him at this point because we're giving all these communication expectations. And then he has no way to actually generalize the skill, you know, on his full system where he has access to all the words, you know, we're like saying, sure, we can help you, you know, learn how to answer a yes question or a no question, but then we will not teach you how to get to that word that we just practiced for the last 30 minutes. And you'll have no way of actually, you know, succeeding in being able to respond to that question on your own.
2: Well, my first thought is, is I would report them to the board. That's just my,
0: oh my God, I didn't even know that was an option. <laughs> you can go on the BACB
2: website and you can report them. Number one. Number two, if you feel it's detrimental to this child's learning, then you are a mandated reporter. And that is something that I wouldn't take lightly. Okay.
0: Great. This is a great, like, we need to link to this in the show notes. (laughs) I feel like we've created a monster. Like so many awesome kids (laughs) are like, I'm reporting them to the board. Okay. Everybody don't go like reporting every BCBA, you know, to No, you have to have a valid
2: reason with proper documentation. And you said this has been two years, right? That You feel it's been detrimental. So that's a long period of time. That is a very long time. Very, I mean, I, six months is a long time. Three months is a long time. Yeah, A month is a long time. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, Number one. Number two, my, you know, as you guys mentioned, the 50-50 chance. Yes, that's terrible. Number three, the motor planning that's difficult for this child. So you're making the response effort more difficult. Mm -hmm. So there, have you, do you know what the response effort is in the ABA? I do,
0: but explain it for our listeners who don't know.
2: Okay. So basically response effort is the harder something is, the more response effort it requires, right? Mm -hmm. The easier something is the less response effort it requires, right? Mm -hmm. So like a learned skill, like for example, when I first was learning to tie my shoes, the response effort was really hard because I had no idea how to tackle all those steps, right? Now the response effort is super simple. It's very low because now it's a learned skill that I've known for so many years and it's completely the opposite of it was before teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So do you want to add anything, Maria? <laughs> okay. <Nope. laughs> so I'm like, did I did I say that correctly? Okay. <laughs> um so that's response effort. And typically when you're teaching something that's challenging for a child, you want to you want to minimize the response effort to make it attainable for that child. If you maximize the response effort for something that's difficult for a child, they're never going to want to do it ever. Mm -hmm. It's just too hard. Um, You have to meet them where they're at and make it easier for them in order to build. It's like scaffolding, right? Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that they can get, do the first step before they can do the third step. You wouldn't ask a child that's just learning to brush their teeth to do the entire task analysis without maybe learning each step prior or maybe practicing prior doing it with mom and dad or doing it with their dolls or practicing on their dog or whatever they want to do to make it fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the ultimate goal is the increased response effort, but that takes time and practice and finesse and patience and planning and care. If you start with making it difficult from the very beginning, it's just going to be too hard. And mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee that that child will ever learn that skill. And so, you're going to run into non-compliance and you're going to run into behaviors. You're going to run into non- And so if you start by making it difficult, why would they want to do that when I can just like throw my iPad across the room and maybe get out of it anyways, instead of telling, you no, right. Mm -hmm. So there's that. The other thing I have an issue with is the type of program that they're running, because if they're running, there's two different types of yes, no programs that we would typically teach. It's preference first because you teach children learn to say no first before they say anything. Like look at any two year old or three year old where they say all day long. No, maybe they say it cute, but still Mm -hmm. it's no. (laughs) Um, and so I would never teach factual, which is, is this an eraser before teaching preference? Because preference just it's, it's a, it's the prequel to factual ID, right? Yes, there's a time and a place for both, but preference is actually more of a foundational skill that you need to teach first because, I mean, it is... I mean, we have a little guy right now that's just nodding his head. Yes. And shaking his head. No for, for preference. And like, we are having dance party after dance party, after dance party right now, because it's just amazing. Right. But like, this took a lot of time and practice and we started an imitation and we did it in playful ways. And now he's finally responding and imitating and doing it. And I would never teach. Do you want, or is this a, I don't know. Is this a phone first? That's a higher order skill. So it's the same thing. The response effort is harder, right? So you basically need to meet the child where they're at, make it easier for them. If it's too hard, then you need to find a way to pull back and scale back to make it easier. And then you can always push them, you know, to a different level later on. That's shaping 101. Um, So those are all my issues with that.
0: (laughs) I I have to tell you, I already told this to the team about, why would we start asking yes no questions? First of all, that who cares if it's an eraser? That's my first. Right. Like I don't care. I mean, that's this kid doesn't me. care. Nobody cares yeah. that it's an eraser. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I think it of, has to be meaningful for the kiddo. Like I, I just yes, I agree. Go ahead. <laughs> but the second thing is like you said, it's like let's follow like typical language development here. Like kids start saying no according to preferences and yes according to preferences before they ever start answering questions that are more complicated and you know abstract. And so, you know, this child does not have a consistent way to say that he does not want something. He does not say no. He pushes things away. There's lots of you know, nonverbal communication that he shows us, but he's not using the language to say no um, or yes for that matter. And so I already said this to them and I don't think they changed anything. So, (laughs) well, if he
3: can't navigate to get to the folder where his yes, no buttons are, then how is he supposed to respond to you? Like, that's number one on my plate. Like, really, what's the point of teaching this to this child if he can't access it when you're not there? That's uh, what we tell parents all the time, we want to teach your child to do everything. And we want to teach you what we know so that, you know, when we're not around, you guys know what to do. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the goal. You're the whole children more, I mean, we could go on and on,
2: but I do have another question about that case. Is it an insurance case? Yes. Uh, has it hasn't been the same BCBA since the yes. entire time you've been on there. I would ask the parents to ask for a new supervisor. supervisor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I would say that these are all of the problems that, and, and maybe switch companies.
0: Yeah. That is um, exactly what I've said. Yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, the, the mom loves me. So I feel like, <laughs> I mean, it's a lot, it's hard.
2: I get yeah. it. Like, that's a big transition and, and, yeah. you know, we get it. I mean, all of the clients that we have have come to us pretty much unhappy from other agencies. So it's a big switch and we've seen the switches happen and it's the process. It's not easy. And especially when you have a little one on the line, that's learning, you know, and you want to make sure you sustain their learning. And so we get that. Mm -hmm. Um, But two years is a really long time and there's not, there's really not any more time to waste. Um, so you could report them or you could ask for a new supervisor or you could switch companies and, Mm -hmm. you know, just state that this is what my child needs, according to, you know, our speech therapist, as far as speech and communication and language. And the only way that we can work together is through this cooperation piece. Um, mom can set those boundaries or dad, whoever, or Mm -hmm. mom and dad, Mm -hmm. um, you know,
3: so
0: well, thank you for making me feel better about what I've done and that I'm not crazy because I was like am I not understanding like some secret rule about ABA that I don't know about like but to hear you guys kind of affirm that you disagree with this makes it feel like no it's not the way ABA does things um no. that makes me feel a lot better. So thank you for validating my experience.
2: <laughs> well, I think too like absolutely and I think like just to kind of touch on that a little bit like you know there are a lot, and we know of them. We know about the rigid ABA, we've seen it, we've heard it, you know, we've experienced it. Um, and I think there's this new progression of ABA that's really shifting to more of a naturalistic and collaborative approach. Um, because what was done, you know, 40, 50 years ago, as far as like the Lovas approach and stuff like that we've seen companies that still continue to implement only from that perspective. And a lot of the families come out unhappy because there's no room for generalization. There's no room for socialization. There's no room for um, naturalistic opportunities. And I think this kind of new era ABA is really going into more of this naturalistic teaching and using these opportunities to kind of, to, as your pedestal, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because that is where you need to use it. So if you're trying to teach social skills at a table one-to-one with an adult where there's no distractions and you play the same game 15 times and it's the same peer and it's the same comments and we go back and forth and back and forth, I'm going to throw the game across the room because I'm done. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that doesn't make learning fun. Like, playing a game is playing a game. It needs to be exciting. It needs to be fun. It needs to be um, social and, and communicative. And did I say playful? Probably, but I'll say it again Um, (laughs) because that's what children like, and that's what they need. And at the end of the day, we should let them be little and not be teaching to not be able to generalize these skills because that is a dead end.
3: It just is right. Or them it. just to respond. That's where I have a big issue with a lot of that roteness when it comes to ABA is just respond to me, just respond to me. No, no, no. You're a child. You need to have spontaneous language. You need to come up and do spontaneous comments and, you know, join my attention when you feel that it's appropriate. Like, I don't want to be the only one speaking. I want this to be a reciprocal conversation or, you know, game or whatever it happens to be. Um, and that's where the fun comes in. I mean, I love it when kids start telling
2: jokes. I had a client call me Wonder Woman today. I was like, yeah, that one's going to stay. I like
0: that one. (laughs) I (laughs) I am Wonder Woman today. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. And like, we know that kids learn best when they're having fun. You know, we all, like when we're engaged and motivated and it doesn't feel like work, it feels so effortless. It's like, that's when kids are learning the most.
3: I have Um, one little kid that I sing the entire two hours. I don't talk. I don't say anything. I sing,
0: yeah. You know that he
2: does not like my
3: singing anymore. Really? (laughs) Yeah. He he
2: protests if I sing, so I say I can sing or no, and he shakes his little head no, and I'm like,
3: I'll just talk (gasps) then, no problem. I (laughs) sing all day today. That's so funny. (laughs) I think he likes your voice better. He literally. Uh, Grandma told me I I should be on Broadway. I
2: know. I I told Grandma yesterday. I was like, he's crying when I sing.
0: All right, I'll talk. That's fine. I love it. I love how you guys really prioritize like keeping it fun and engaging. And I think, you know, generally speaking, you're a lot more naturalistic in your approach than, you know, maybe a lot of other ABA therapists that a lot of our listeners maybe have had interactions with. Um, I'm curious because this is like the burning question. I think right now there's a very big movement against ABA, anti-ABA. We're hearing from a lot of autistic adults saying ABA was harmful. To me, um, I'm really curious what your guys' thoughts are on that. I mean, obviously, it sounds like you guys are doing things a lot differently. Um, but, you know, how do you respond to an autistic adult who says, ABA hurt me? I mean, you
3: listen first. Yeah. First you listen and you listen to their story and you ask them a lot of questions as to what made them feel this way or, or how they felt or why they felt like this way. Um, And and as we touched on just earlier before adults with autism received ABA therapy 30, 40 years ago, and it's Mm. definitely changed. So um, I feel like we've recognized as practitioners that the way we were Um, writing programs as just response was creating little robots and nobody wants a little robot out in the world. We want little people to grow into (laughs) bigger people. Um, so that's where I feel when I started in the field in the early 2000s, that's when, um, I saw that the trend was really starting to move in this direction. Cause where I was trained was very low vast, very DTT. Um, but it was also really impacted learners. They kind of needed that, um, level in order to learn. But as I got further into my career and was working with the kiddos who are you know, a little higher on the spectrum or they're a little bit less impacted, I was like, I don't need to do it this way. I don't need to do the drill and kill, touch your head 10 times. He touched his head the first time, we're moving on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing something different. Um, and I think it's just kind of noticing your learner. And when they start to tune out and look around and they're not paying attention to you and you're doing something wrong, you have to, you have to change it up and get their attention. Cause they're not going to learn if they're not paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it really
2: comes from this idea of like, you know, a child-centered approach. Like you, you, you really need to consider your learner and what you're doing. And, you know, the way we teach one kid is not the way we teach another. We based, we teach on what they, based on what they need in that moment. And, and I think autonomy is something that we really value in our practice, um, you know, if a child like I said earlier, he didn't want me to sing, so I stopped singing. And I was so sad and I wanted to keep singing, but I couldn't. Um, but really listening to what the your learner's telling you because it, Verbal or nonverbal, it's all communication. They're trying to share something with you. And I think really listening and coming from a place of really pushing for childhood autonomy and letting them have, you know, choice and opinion and um, negation. I mean, I love it when kids start negating. I'm like, yeah,
3: let's Ah, let's, let's talk about that. And as kids develop and as they grow, asking them, what do you want to learn? I mean, yeah. we have seven and eight year olds who tell me, I don't, I don't need you anymore. Great. <laughs> Let's put together a, a, a goal list to show me what you need to do so that you don't need me anymore. I love that. Let's work on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so it's hard because we're so aware of the pushback and the negativity. And I think, you know, as far as I can only speak to our practice, I can't speak to all practices, but like, I think the way that we really honor the whole family and the whole team and the child centered approach and the play-based approach and the naturalistic opportunities for just being present. Um, you know, we do a lot of mindfulness and we do a lot of yoga maybe we're working on imitation, but it's yoga. It's yoga. (laughs) Um, you know, we really encourage and support all of those extracurriculars. I mean, and I just, I, I think within our practice, just really being mindful of that and what they need and listening and, and using that as a means to teach is kind of our approach. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, it. That, I mean, that's us. <laughs>
0: So, I'm curious. So, there's a lot of listeners out there probably thinking, this sounds so great, but this is not my reality with ABA. Like, you guys are wonderful, but this is not my experience. So, do you have any insights or gems of wisdom that you could share um, perhaps when? you know, someone comes up against a ABA, you know, team or BCBA, um, and they're kind of, you know, maybe trying to push more of a structured, uh, not as naturalistic, like, is there anything that, you know, us as speech language pathologists can do to, um, you know, get in with that ABA. Um, is there any like angles you might suggest to kind of get more buy-in with kind of our agenda? I'm curious if there's any like insight from, you know, obviously you understand ABA, you work in the field. Um, is there any way that we can kind of get our foot in the door with the collaboration and perhaps, you know, encouraging more naturalistic, uh, play-based opportunities for language? Um, I think, (laughs) I
3: wish I had a direct answer. I I do, but go ahead, Mariah. Um, I think we spoke on it a little earlier when it comes to the data piece, behavior analysts are always so driven in data. So present it this way. Let's do it your way for two weeks. Let's look at your data. Then we're going to do it my way for two weeks. And we're going to look at my data and we're going to compare the two at the end. I like and we're going to see which one works better. <laughs> I used to do this with parents because as a younger BCBA, I would always run into, well, you're not a mom. How do you know this is going to work? All right, I'll show you how I know it's going to work. We're going to do it your way for two weeks. and we're going to look at the numbers. Then we're going to do it my way for two weeks. And we're going to look at the numbers. And at the end of the month, we're going to come together and we're going to mix it up. So you don't know which one was whose way. And we're going to look at the numbers and say, which one was better.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There I like know. that. I mean, yeah, if you want to... Get into the the BCBA's mind. That's not so collaborative. I think show them the data. Speak to the data. Show them the data. Um, But I also think you know it's hard because you, as the BCBA, you have this idea of you want to do this and and but you also know that that most children that we're working with also need speech and OT. So. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that they would be closed off. It really is. Um, especially when you could learn from them and ABA typically has more hours and you could be teaching more when speech and OT have less. Like it's really hard for me to, to fathom that. But I, yeah, I think the data piece, I wish I had an easier answer, but I don't. I think that I think that us as a field of a, in ABA, I think that we need to really start looking at what it is that we're trying to accomplish with this new kind of direction of ABA and really start to understand the benefits of the collaboration piece. I think that if you run into a situation where you have somebody that's been in the field for many, many moons and they're set in their ways, it's probably going to be harder. Unfortunately, I, I wish it wasn't. And I, and I, we are not that way, but Unfortunately, I guess that's the case.
3: And I think uh, you can always talk with the parent too, because ultimately the parent is the one who has the executive decision as to who makes up their team. So yeah. if you can say, hey, this has been going this way for two years, everything's stagnant, we're not progressing, mm-hmm. and start poking at the parent and, you know, poking that bear, wake them up. Yeah. Um, show them think- some videos of ABA in a different way. Go to YouTube, look at the play base, you know, show them what's out there. Maybe they don't know that there's something better out there.
2: Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I like that. I think, you know, getting the parents really involved and really being an advocate for their child to show them that there are different ways to do this. Um, and I also think, you know, if you get that hard pushback, then that's not the right ABA team for you. Yeah, it's not there. There has to be a better way. Um, because like I said earlier, the fact that you would even get pushback is really hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, I get pushed
3: back. By is, that, you guys, I mean, we have our BIs go to speech therapist sessions and OT sessions. It's not just us that collaborate. We have our whole team collaborate because we want them mm-hmm. to learn from the best as well. We I, just, yeah.
2: It's, I mean, it's, it's the whole team. It's RBIs, RBT, I mean, where everybody goes to speech, everybody goes to ABA. We all join the meetings. We're all involved. We had a two hour OT meeting recently. And like the whole team came, like it's, we're there to support that child's whole need, not just mm-hmm. your isolated version of that. Um, and if I go back to the insurance piece, what you're going to run into sometimes is like, well, that's not behavior analytic in nature. Well, as a VCBA, you can find a way to make that behavior analytic in mm-hmm. nature. Okay. The child has a sensory need. Okay. So then let's write goals for different ways that we can work on fine motor and gross motor, um, and oral motor imitation, right. Or whatever it might be. Um, so there are ways to do it. You just have to be creative and willing to figure out how to make it be behavior analytic in nature while still accommodating the additional
3: needs of speech and OT. Yeah. Cause when you think about it before insurance, it was, Oh, the regional center. Oh, we can't do that. Cause it's not a regional center goal or that's a school goal. That's not a re- it's a, they're all goals. This is the child. All the goals are their goals. It shouldn't be separated between school and home and community and here and there. All the goals need to be worked on in all the environments with all the people, because that's, what's going to teach our learner. Yeah. Done and done.
0: Totally. (laughs) Listen, the hard question though,
3: because I I wish there was an easier (laughs) answer for it. I do.
0: Yeah. And you know, I have to uh, share too, that I think that it's my same experience with some SLPs, you know, it's like, we've been doing this for 30 years and this is the way I do things. And this is the way I see success. And this is what I'm always going to do. Right. So my hope is that, you know, for all of our fields, ABA, speech, OT, you know, we have a, a young generation of clinicians who are eager to learn new ways, better ways, more naturalistic ways, um, incorporating the voices of autistic adults, especially, um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but for ASHA, our, you know, American Speech and Hearing Association, um, there's a triangle for evidence based practice. And, you know, obviously we need evidence and research. Um, You know, we need experience with that specific thing. So, like trying it in our practice and seeing, you know, how it goes. But then the third piece of that is listening to our clients. And I think that that piece is sometimes overlooked. Um, And I think as a field in general, um, you know, working with, individuals with disabilities, I think that we're now starting to really have our eyes opened to the experiences of adults with disabilities, um, whether that's an AAC user or an autistic adult, um, you know, being open to listening and really having that shape what we do and how we do it. Um, I'm hoping like for us as, you know, a field collectively, uh, we can really do that and we can have, you know, a newer generation of clinicians who are, you know, really prioritizing that and trying to you know, just be better. Cause now we know better, you know, absolutely. Well, I always um,
3: tell people when they say I've been doing this way for this, this way for 30 years and say, well, do you want to drive the same car for 30 years? Because <laughs> yeah, the, the car you drove 30 years ago will might get you from point A to point B, but guess what? There's a newer model. It just
0: came out this year and it'll get you there faster. It also has a backup camera, which makes going in reverse a lot easier. <laughs> and power yeah. steering and power windows, and all the luxuries that we
3: afford today—that you know, didn't exist. Yeah. So I, I, I do ABA in the same way.
2: Yeah, and I hear and I hear you too, as far as you know, pushback from other SLPs. I was in a in an IEP. I don't know. I think maybe six or seven months ago, and a speech therapist came on and recommended a ridiculous amount of speech. It was like one times 30 per month in a group. Right. This child's nonverbal. Like mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. And on top three, three, three at the time, right? Right. So several,
0: ex- explain this to me, 30 minutes a month, once of, a month of one speech month. therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: In a group. That's, that's it. In a group. In a group. In a group. Yeah. yeah. Oh, group. yikes. That was a school recommendation. That
2: was a school recommendation. And okay. so when I contested that and I said, this is not appropriate. And then I also suggested AAC, this peach therapist was like, well, we'll teach PECS. And if you want to get AAC, then maybe we can bring that on board, but we're not really sure. And I'm like,
3: wrong answer. Well, wrong answer. And,
2: and this, this, this woman, she was, she was lovely and nice, but she had clearly been in the, the field for a long time. It was, you know, I mean, this child could have eaten her alive. Like she was a small, fragile <laughs> woman and elderly, and he's a big, guy. (laughs) Um, and I looked at the, you know, afterwards, not, not only what was said and the fact that as a BCBA, I recommended an AAC and got pushed back from an SLP and not to mention that just all of it. I was like, I looked at the parents and I was like, nope, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Nope. Um, so we've seen it too, even in our field when we recommend things and people are like, well, what is that? Well, let me teach you. Let
0: me show you. Totally, get yeah. on board. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Pex. thats a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's like my heart. Yes. I know. And from an SLP at that. Come on, speech therapy. I mm-hmm. do. Exactly. <laughs> so it's all fields. We we yeah. see it too. So. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Okay, ladies. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more, or perhaps they're in Argent County and they're like, "This is the ABA team I need to work with." Uh, they can reach out to us at info
2: at rootedinplay.co or they can go onto our website, which is just www.rootedandplay.co.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys or so Instagram much.
2: Too. Sorry. I guess. Oh we'll, yeah.
0: You guys yep. have Instagram. We'll link yeah. to all that in the show notes, send me an email and I'll make sure it gets in the show notes. Awesome. Um, okay. Thank you ladies so much for coming on and sharing your experience. Like I said, I, I think a lot of people are going to be like, I wish, you know, my ABA experience was like this, but I think for me, it helped me understand that every time a BCBA said to me, this is the way ABA does things, that that's not true. <laughs> so that was my <laughs> aha moment from this discussion <laughs> (laughs) is that it's not reality and
2: (laughs) I wasn't a rigid person. (laughs) Yes. I
0: wasn't missing some like, you know, information about ABA that I didn't know about. It was just, they're being rigid and not being open to collaboration.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Which makes me cringe. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Okay, ladies. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Yeah, this is a really great conversation. Thank you, Rachel. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. For Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Jennifer Eaton and Maria Half. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.